This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to St. John. Glory to you, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble, because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble, because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus was already, had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. 
He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench, because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, two sisters and a brother who lived together in a little village just east of Jerusalem named Bethany. Mary and Martha, of course, are forever etched upon our consciousness as those sisters with wildly different personalities who both love Jesus deeply, yet express their affection in such different ways. I'm sure you remember the famous story from Luke's Gospel, where Jesus stops by the sisters' home in Bethany for a visit, only to find Martha scurrying around the house in a whirlwind of activity, cooking, cleaning, so completely consumed by the task of preparing a welcoming meal for Jesus that she plum forgets to pause in the midst of her busyness to take in the extraordinary reality of Jesus' sacred presence. We love Martha for her conscientiousness and commitment to faithful service, if only she could keep her anxiety and perfectionism in check. And then there is Mary, who irritates her sister Martha by being so unhelpful when there is so much work to be done, but who knows a holy moment when she sees one. She lavishes Jesus with attention and love, seemingly unconcerned with the daily realities of making a meal and keeping the house clean. We love Mary for her bold and extravagant devotion to Jesus, even as we New England Puritans can't help but secretly share Martha's concern for her sister's questionable work ethic. The little village of Bethany, where Mary and Martha live with their brother, is familiar to us, too. All four Gospels mention the town as a special stopping place for Jesus during his ministry. Not only did he often visit Mary, Martha, and Lazarus there, but Bethany is the place from which Jesus begins his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, which we'll celebrate next week. 
before that final week of his life leading up to the Passion. And when things get tense during that last week in Jerusalem, Mark and Matthew tell us that it is to Bethany that Jesus and the disciples retreat at night. And finally, Luke tells us that it is from Bethany that the risen Christ descends to heaven to return to his Father after spending 40 days of resurrected life with his disciples. The sense we get from all of these passages in the Gospels is that Bethany may well have been Jesus' home away from home. Yet as familiar as Mary and Martha and their hometown of Bethany are to us, we know precious little about Lazarus, their brother. Indeed, the first time Lazarus appears in the Gospels is in today's dramatic scene of his death and resurrection. Lazarus literally shows up in the New Testament dead on arrival. That was a pretty funny joke. How old a man was he? What was his vocation? How did his personality stack up against his two feisty sisters? What did he look like? What was the nature of the illness that took his life? All of these details are left to our imagination. John doesn't tell us a thing. There's only one detail that matters to John. In introducing Lazarus to us at the beginning of chapter 11, John tells us that his sister sent a message of distress, saying to Jesus only this, Lord, he whom you love is ill. He whom you love. The important thing to know about Lazarus, John seems to be saying, is not what he looked like or what he did or where he was from, the qualities in a person about which we are too often preoccupied. Lazarus is defined not by these incidentals, but rather by his relationship with Jesus. Lazarus is loved by Jesus. Unless there be any doubt about Jesus' love for Lazarus and his sisters, the depths of such love become poignantly obvious as we watch Jesus share in his sister's grief. Hearing of Lazarus' death and seeing Mary and Martha in the crowd weeping, Jesus too weeps. This is the shortest but most profound sentence in all of the Bible. This scene of Jesus weeping at the grave of his friend and consoling the two grieving sisters has offered comfort and hope to Christians in times of loss unmatched by any other resource, biblical or non-biblical. Indeed, both Lutheran and Episcopal traditions place this scene and its language at the heart of our funeral liturgies. Thus, the first great theological truth of our story, God is present to human grief. And in the person of his Son, God freely and lovingly steps into the midst of our lives to share fully in the pain of human loss. And yet, Jesus' response to Lazarus' death is not merely to shed tears. Verses 33 and 38 are crucially important to a full appreciation of Jesus' response. 
According to the NRSV translation we just heard, when Jesus sees Mary and Martha weeping, he is, quote, greatly disturbed in spirit, end quote. But the underlying Greek word is embromaumai, and its sense, according to all the scholars that I have read, includes a core meaning of anger. Upon learning of Jesus' death and its impact upon all who love him, Jesus is not merely distressed or disturbed or upset. He is, to put it bluntly, ticked off. He's mad. So why is Jesus angry? Jesus is angry because in this moment he is staring down his greatest adversary, death itself. Death is not just some aspect of the natural order of things as to which God is indifferent. Suffering and death are God's enemy. And the anger that Jesus feels here toward death's apparent grip on his friend Lazarus is the very same anger that each one of us feels when we lose someone we love. Anger at the unfairness of it all, at the injustice, at how contrary suffering and death is to everything else we know about God's loving purposes. Jesus' anger in this moment is not, however, a vindictive anger so much as it is a holy anger, an anger born of love, an anger that wants nothing more than to restore his friend Lazarus to the health and wholeness and peace and joy that God intends for all of us. Resolved to demonstrate that God's love can and will overcome death, Jesus thus lets nothing deter him from raising Lazarus. No matter that Lazarus has been dead for four days, no matter that his body is stinking from decomposition, no matter that he is bound in grave clothes, no matter that a stone stands between Jesus and his dead friend, God's love in Jesus is too much for any of these impediments. And so he calls his friend by name and beckons Lazarus to come out. And come out he does. Thus, the second great theological truth of our story, God's love in Christ is stronger than death. The raising of Lazarus is a glimpse into that future kingdom described by John in Revelation, where God wipes away every tear from our eyes, where death is defeated, and where mourning and crying and pain are no more. Love wins in the end. It should be plain by now, I suspect, that in confronting Lazarus' death and releasing him from death's hold, Jesus is foreshadowing his own upcoming passion. Notice all the parallels. Jesus is troubled and weeping. The tomb is not far from Jerusalem. The tomb is a cave with a large stone covering the opening. The stone is rolled away. Jesus cries with a loud voice. The grave cloth is left at the tomb. The women are nearby. If these details sound familiar, they should. Jesus knows that calling Lazarus out of the tomb means that he must now enter it. But for Jesus, there is no other way, because only in the act of confronting his own death 
can he be the resurrection and life for the world? But this still leaves one unanswered question that I suspect is on your minds, a question known painfully well by all of us who have lost someone to death. It is the question the crowd asks in verse 37, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? As amazingly wonderful as it is to see Lazarus raised to new life, why did he have to endure suffering and death in the first place? Why didn't Jesus arrive sooner, as Mary asks? Couldn't all of this have been avoided? Which brings us to the last great theological truth of the story. God defeats death not by avoiding it, but by enduring it with us and offering new life on the other side. As hard as it is to fathom and as challenging as it is to live, the way of love, the way of life, is the way of the cross. The great writer and Episcopal priest, Barbara Brown Taylor, encapsulates this truth of the Lazarus story in a wonderfully honest prayer about resurrection with which I will today close. It goes like this. Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief, because I still do not want to die. I believe Jesus has power to raise the dead, only I do not want him practicing on me. I want a God who will cut my losses and cushion my failures, a God who will grant me a life free from pain. I want a God who will rescue me from death, who will delete it from the human experience and find another way to operate. Yet what I have, what we have, instead is a God who resurrects us from the dead, putting an end to it by working through it instead of around it, creating life in the midst of grief, creating love in the midst of loss, creating faith in the midst of despair, resurrecting us from our big and little deaths, showing us by his own example that the only road to Easter morning runs smack through Good Friday. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says to the grieving Martha. Not I will be, but I am. Right here, right now, resurrection and life for anyone willing to believe that it might just be true. The raising of Lazarus is not a safe story. It is not an easy story, but it is a strong one with the power to lead us through suffering, through death, through the graveyard, and out the other side to the risen Christ himself. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com and don't forget, you are loved.